You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast. Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm. And today we're going to be talking about Marvel Champions, the card game. We're also going to be looking at collectible card games in general, specifically living card games, as well as multi-handing solo games as well. We know we've covered that briefly before. I think it was episode seven, but we're revisiting multi-handing as well. Yeah, and I just want to throw out a quick disclaimer right at the start here to say if you haven't listened to our Spirit Island episode where we talked about multi-handing, I would recommend giving it a listen if you're at all interested in Spirit Island. Uh, I'm going to be talking a bit about Spirit Island and how it compares with Marvel Champions today. So if uh, if you haven't heard that episode before, you might not know what I'm talking about. But if you're not at all interested, then just buckle up for a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point, Scruffy. Uh, feel free to go and listen to episode seven. Although I don't think you'll need to. I think you'll pretty much get what, we're, what we'll be talking about just from this episode. Now, um, before we dive into the main topic and have a look at Marvel Champions and all that other goodness we want to unpack, let's go through some housekeeping because there's a couple of really exciting announcements. The first one is it is now officially the month of December, and that means it's the holiday season. And to celebrate, we have a few exciting things planned. Number one, Our patrons will not be charged for December. This is our holiday gift for you all. Enjoy the month for free. Number two, the benefit, one of the biggest benefits of being a patron is getting access to the planning phase. We're going to make this free for everyone over the month of December. So next week would be when we release our next episode of planning phase, which if you don't know, it's a behind the scenes show about how we pick our next game. Uh, that we're covering on the show. Uh, This will be free for everyone. It'll be released all the same places you normally listen to our podcast. So basically for the month of December, you're going to get content from us every week instead of every two weeks, which is pretty cool. Don't you think, Scruffy? Yeah, yeah. Give you guys an idea of what the little mini series is. And yeah, I'm excited for you guys to let us know what you think and throw out a bit more content for you over over the holiday season. Why not? Why it's not? Just, yeah, it's just free content for the holiday. I mean, it's double the content and it's yeah. all free and it's our gift to you awesome listeners for being so awesome. Yes. Uh, we've got some other content coming up in December. Isn't that right, Norm? Yeah, we've got some holiday specials planned. We have a holiday special planned for December 25th and January 1st. So Christmas Day and New Year's Day will be uh, sort of uh, themed. Uh, I won't spoil anything too much. It will be a nice surprise for you at the time. The other announcement we have to make is we have a winner for our Mage Night tournament on our Discord as Sunspear. Congratulations to Sunspear. Your name will now appear in gold in the Discord. Well done on your awesome victory. Yeah, very well done indeed. That last round was particularly nasty for everyone who was kind of following along. It was a megaopolis and that eliminated a lot of uh, fine mage knights, myself included. And it was, yeah, it was a tough old round. It was impressive that Sunspear managed to make it through and I look forward to the next tournament when we get around to setting that up. Got a bunch of different ideas with 
chatting around with for what we're going to do with it. You know, it might just it might be something a bit different. Yeah, so keep an eye on the tournaments tab in our Discord to see what's coming up next. Yeah, and I think more so than the Megapolis, the the biggest issue was the first city was the level eleven. And I, I don't know about you, Scruffy, but I often find the first city, even though it's a lower level, more challenging than the second because you encounter it earlier in the game. And I think having a level 11 city as your first really threw some people off and threw some spanners and more specifically some wounds into their deck. <laughs> yeah, it really threw a, a spanner in the works for my for my run. I had a white city come up where all the enemies were really tough and uh, it really helped them to have that bit of extra armor. So I just I got completely bottlenecked at the at the first city and spent a whole whole night there doing nothing. <laughs> but yeah, we could talk about Mage Knight all day, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, today is Marvel Champions. Unless there's anything else, Norm? No, I don't think so. Scruffy, take it away. Tell us a little bit about Marvel Champions. Okay, can you tell I'm a bit excited to talk about this today? <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a quick description of the game and then we can get into the main topic today. So in Marvel Champions, you take on the role of a superhero aiming to take down a supervillain. You're able to play multi-handed with up to four heroes. Me and Norm stuck with one or two heroes for our games. The aim of the game is to eliminate the villain by taking their health down to zero before they are able to progress their scheme or reduce all heroes' health to zero. The villain's main scheme has a target number of threat they need to reach in order to progress to the next stage. The final stage of the main scheme always ends in the player losing if the threat level reaches the target number. On your turn, you activate each hero one at a time in turn order, playing cards to the hero's play area, using powers and attacking the villain or thwarting their schemes. Generally, you will be either doing health damage to the villain or their minions, or thwart to remove tokens from their schemes, stopping them from progressing. You will also play cards to protect, heal or upgrade your hero. Once a turn, you may flip your hero card over from alter ego side to hero side or vice versa and these different aspects of each hero have various effects with the hero side often being more direct and the alter ego side being more indirect in resolving the game after acting the hero will draw up to their hand limit and then it's the next hero's turn after all heroes have taken the turn the villain acts First by progressing their main scheme, adding one threat per player, and then attacking or scheming against each hero in turn, depending on which side up their hero card is. In hero form, the villain will attack that hero's health. In alter ego form, they will scheme, adding more threat to the main scheme. The villain uses a base stat for each of these moves, and this is boosted by drawing a card from their unique encounter deck and looking to see the number of plus points on the bottom right of the card. These cards can also have additional effects. For each of these actions, the minions in play follow the effect, scheming or attacking with their own stats. Finally, the villain deals one card to each hero from the encounter deck, and these can be side schemes, enemy minions, hero-specific obligation cards, or one-time effect treachery cards. Once each of these cards is resolved, play continues back to another player turn, the first player token is passed to the next hero, and the heroes get a chance to act again. 
that's all for now. There are a couple of other little triggers in the game, which I'm sure we'll unpack as we go on. But I think that's a pretty good overview of the game. Yeah, I think I think that is a really good overview. If you've never played Marvel Champions, I think you're up to speed and you're ready to dive into this to the rest of this episode. Yeah, well. I think it's um it's a very similar. So now now we've coming to this one, we've played a lot of LCGs and it felt very familiar. It felt very comfortable coming in from having all that backlog of other ones. It it borrows a lot from different ones and the theme is uh, its main standout point that makes it different. Everything else just feels kind of basic but kind of really works. And I'm really excited to talk about why I think it works so much for Marvel Champions. Yes. I think the first thing I'd like to unpack with the game, if it's okay with you, Scruffy, is Uh the resource management in the game. Sure thing. I was a big fan of the resource management in Marvel Champions. And one of the reasons is one thing that kind of bugs me about other LCGs or you know, games of this ilk and thinking Lord of the Rings and, and Arkham Horror is I don't see all the cards. Not, you know, there are some times where I don't get all the way through the deck or even close. With Marvel Champions, because of the way the resource works, and I'll explain that now, on the bottom of every card, there is a resource. And at the top of the card, there is a cost in re- that, that you have to pay in resources. So... When you play a card, let's say it has a two cost, you will have to discard two other cards to pay for it. I love that. I thought it, was, it adds a level of decision-making that is nice and crunchy and also means that you just whip through that deck very quickly, which isn't always a good thing, but it does mean that from a player's point of view, if I'm making a deck and I put a card in that deck, I want to see that card. I want it to come up, you know? I don't want it to sit at the bottom. I want to get all the way through the deck and see all of them. And we'll come on to why that specifically isn't necessarily a great thing for you playing the game, you know, strategy-wise. But for me, that's what I love about card games. If I've put a card in the deck, I want to see it. And I thought this was such a nice way to not just solve that problem, but also add a layer of complex decision-making that really make the game sing for me what what did you think about the resource management yeah it's really nice that you have to choose based on what you've got in your hand do i play one big powerful card this turn or lots of little ones and i think just following on from that it's not like a game where you need to match the symbols so there are different colored resources for each card but you can pretty much always just spend any of them you could just spend two cards for it doesn't matter what's on the bottom right to play this card but there are some cards that have extra little bonuses if you spend the right resources and very rarely there are cards that will say you must spend this color on it so that the actual resource type doesn't matter and i think you said it best when you explained the rules to me norm it doesn't matter until it does and i like that it makes the game very very accessible and accessible is a key word that i'm going to come back to a lot for this game because it's it's, it's accessibility is really really it's strong suit but that is one 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 example of it where you can just look at your hand and go okay that costs two that costs two i i I, or whatever i i might have enough to play both of those cards i'll do that i'll play both of those cards i want to play those cards i'm happy and the other cards don't matter then they kind of fade into the background the game is very good at making the decisions fun the decisions are always interesting and 
the way that what you just explained about the resources and that they don't matter until they do, that's a really good example of how this game makes decisions interesting. So what what I think I'm trying to say is you're never looking at your cards going, ah, oh, I wish I had one more fist resource rather than a lightning bolt resource. Instead, you're looking at your cards going, ah, oh, which ones, like, I want to play all of them. Which ones can I afford to put in my discard pile? Which ones do I want to keep back? You're not looking at, oh, what resources did I draw? You're looking at, they're all good cards. Which ones do I want to get rid of? And that's infinitely more interesting, I think. Yes, yes. I'm going to just dive straight into this now because I think the comparison for me immediately, especially because I was playing multi-handed, I was drawn right to a game like Spirit Island. And the challenge in Spirit Island often is trying to access the different powers and things by, like you say, with, with matching the sort of arcane symbols. I need two red and one yellow, so I have to play this card and... Ah! Whereas in, in Marvels, that's that's just completely stripped away. And you're left with a game where you can sort of play the cards that you want to play very easily and at a glance. But you do still have to sacrifice stuff, but it's not so it doesn't it doesn't feel like a compromise. No. If that no. makes sense. Well it's not a tedious choice. It's a, it's an interesting choice, isn't it? it? Yeah. I've gotten rid of this card, so I can't play it now, but I can play this instead, rather than Okay, what do I have here? I've got two red and one green, and okay, and how do they work? Um, it's these are all good cards. Um, what can I afford now? What can't I? That might help, and you you have to break it down yourself, and it makes it a. Well, sometimes you'll discard. A, I'll discard a card. I'm like, oh, I wish I could keep both of these, but I have to discard one to play the other. I don't want to play both. Mm. I love that. I love being in that position. The game puts you there. Yeah. Every time, but it's I not think. a puzzle. It's not. It's it's just it's just obvious, and I think that makes it much more fun to play multi-handed because it's a lot less brain burning. Like in in a game like Spirit Island, the puzzle lies in trying to unlock the potential of your cards and your powers by looking at the elements and say and then struggling with your hand to try and make it match the elements on your god power so that it's maximizing the efficiency. Well, that's I mean, that's what I did, and then. Once you're done, there's there's nothing kind of left there. The board's just kind of wiped clean and you have to do it all again and again and again. And that puzzle just keeps on going. And Marvel's kind of strong suit is that even just playing the cards is so much easier. But then it goes another step as well, because then a lot of those cards that you play, some of them are one use, like in a game like Spirit Island, they just happen and they resolve when they resolve. But a lot of them are things like allies and upgrades and they will sit in play in your tableau and there's a limit to how many you can have and they're kind of semi-permanent so they never kind of clutter up but that makes them even more accessible then because they're already in play so you can trigger them a lot easier than uh, anything in a game where you have to then play the card and then trigger it you just tap the card and it's, it's doing its effect for the rest of the game so again, it's kind of leaning on that accessibility. And then from now on, I've got that ally in play for that hero. I can always just use it on my turn and do its effect because it's there. It's already played. It's just more fun. It's more fun. And it's refreshing to play a game like that where, I mean, I love complex decision making in games. I find it really exciting. I mean, you know, we talked about already at the start of the episode, Mage Knight is all about that puzzling stuff out. But trying to do that multi-handed 
for me, it's not fun. In this, everything's so easy and light, and you just go, okay, I did it. I took that turn. Now onto the next turn. Brilliant, easy. He's already got an ally out, so I'll attack with the ally. Oh, I can flip my hero, can I, and use that ability? Brilliant. That's easy. It's accessible. It's there. Oh, and I just need to play a card from my hand. Fantastic. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Just so much nicer, just breezing through the games, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, what, one one thing I wrote down about this point, and I, I think you're hitting on it, is it's funny we don't talk about you know what we what we either of us are going to bring up before the podcast begins. Uh, we kind of make our notes separately, and we want it to be as authentic as possible. But one thing you're saying now is almost exactly what I wrote down in my notes, which is the game is very good at saying yes. Like yeah, I literally wrote that. It yes ands you the whole way, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, it goes. Yeah. Sure. Oh, actually, have you remembered? You can use your ally. I'll do that as well. <laughs> it's, it's yes, you can. You can play this card, and you can use whatever resource. Yes, you can target whatever enemy you like. Yeah. Yes, you can use that other hero's upgrade on the other hero's turn. Yes, you can do all the actions you want. Then ready everything again before the villain fades. Like, <laughs> and that means you can defend as well. Yeah, brilliant. It's very. But what's interesting about the, you know, the fact that it's, it's if you pro- haven't played Marvel Champions, you're probably thinking, oh, this game sounds really easy and boring because it just says yes all the time. That's not the case. By saying yes, it it goes yes, you can do that. But now because you can do whatever you like, that's open up. It's broadened the decision space. So one great example of this is um. If we compare it to Lord of the Rings, the card game, mm-hmm. your characters must have range in order to target a minion or an enemy that's that's engaged with another character. In Marvel Champions, it goes, no, 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 don't worry about that. Yes, you can target whatever enemy you like, but now you can target whatever enemy you like. And sometimes it's a really difficult decision and you can't, yeah. you don't have enough attack to deal with everyone. So yes, the game goes, yeah, don't worry about range. That's one less rule for you. It is more accessible, <laughs> but wait till you start playing. And now you have really difficult decisions to make, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but they're um, fun decisions and you, you kind of go, oh yeah, that's really fun. And do you know what I never did is I never looked at the hero next to me and went, okay, what are they going to do? I always just took, the character's turn because I didn't have to worry. Yeah. It's like, okay, I've got this guy in front of me that I need to kill at some point. But you know what? I'll, I don't want to do it with this hero because they're going to do a massive attack that would be a waste of damage. I'm going to throw that attack on the villain and then deal with that minion next turn because I'm sure I'll be able to figure it out. And I and I do. And then I move to the next turn and I, I look at it and I go, but I don't I don't plan for that. I don't I don't have you know, maybe I'll, I'll see that they've got an ally in play that could help out with it. And I, I'll go, okay, cool. They've got the ally there clocked that that was just at a glance but i'm not going to look at their hand i'm not going to work out how exactly they're going to kill them because it's not worth it yeah it's too much hassle i'm sure i can figure it out when i get there (laughs) (laughs) no and i pretty much played the same there was only very rare occasions where i was like uh let me just check that um but very very rare indeed uh Mm. and that's one thing i think we said before with 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 multi-handing and I do think the best way to play this game solo is with two heroes from what I've played. And I will say yeah, I agree. what what I've played is the I've played uh seven games I managed in the last week. So that's every scenario, uh, a couple of the scenarios multiple times, and at least every hero in the core box once. So I have a pretty good idea of what I prefer, and I definitely prefer two 
heroes rather than pure solo. But one of the things we often say about multi-handing, we discussed it in the Spirit Island episode, is we'd like multi-handing to have some kind of structure to break things down for you. Aeon Zen does it really well with the turn order deck, mm. but this game does it really well in that it says, okay, you have to resolve them in player order, but if you want to access a card in the other player's tableau or, or tap a support card in the other player's tableau, you can do that. So it kind of has the best of both worlds in that you don't have to simultaneously do the actions for both heroes. But if you are in need of support, you know, the only time it matters is when you need it. Does that make sense, Scruffy? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, to be honest, I never even did that. I never. I, I played on extra hard mode. I forgot you could do that. And every game I played, I just dealt with the heroes little play area and didn't use any supporting upgrades from the other heroes they're only minor things anyway yeah so it's not a massive thing one thing i really enjoyed was the combination of uh i i found myself in a, at a point where black panther couldn't do much on his turn so i decided just to spend all my cards and put out avengers mansion into his tableau which if you exhaust gives a player of your choice an additional card hmm. And Black Panther was teamed up with She-Hulk, who has a very small hand size. So it was really fun for me to know that that Avengers Mansion was in play all the time, and I could tap it on She-Hulk's turn in order to get another card. So yeah, it's like the resource thing. It's not important until it is, right? Yeah, I think the most interesting side for me for comboing them, I, I, I have to say I agree that multi-handed is more fun. I think it led to some more interesting stories that came out for the different things. Uh, you'd have moments where, for example, you're, one of your heroes would throw everything they had at the villain, but it wasn't quite enough. And then the other hero would swoop in and save the day, you know, and finish them off. And that was just so comic book. Uh, I, I want to return to the theme and how wackiness is kind of so integral to the game but multi-handed play is definitely where it shines and i think for me the the best the most one of the most interesting mechanics was when to flip your hero and the sort of combination combining the heroes like that so you know that when on the villain's turn they're going to either attack or scheme depending on whether you've got the alter ego side up for your hero or the hero side and they're going to do it to both of your heroes so Having one as an alter ego and one as a hero means that they're going to attack and then scheme. But if you have them both one way or the other, then they're going to double scheme or double attack. So trying to get those to synergize and sync up really well was really nice, especially if you do things like stun and, and confuse, which means they skip an attack or skip a, a, a scheme. Yeah, that, that for me was the, the most interesting interplay there between the two things, whether you want it to attack twice or whether you definitely don't want it to attack this turn or you want one of each yeah 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 it's a really interesting it's i i it's an interesting innovation the idea of flipping your your because it has your base stats and you can just change your base stats you can go okay well this i'm going to flip it so you can't do any attack and yeah I'm, you protect yourself don't you put up a little invisible shield like nope not going to attack me this turn i'm going to my alter ego <laughs> yeah and it's it's interesting it's even more interesting because some of the cards require you to either be in alter ego form or hero form to activate yeah. as an action. So if you've got a tableau in front of you of just hero cards, it's probably quite a tough choice to go back into alter ego because you're not going to be able to do as much as you're used to doing on your turn. So the way you build your tableau and the way the cards that you choose to play 
really make that decision a lot more interesting as the game and the narrative emerges from the gameplay. Very, very. And what's what's really interesting about it is it's kind of encouraging you to switch every turn, which makes it feel very active and fun because often the hero will have a passive ability on the alter ego side or even just a bigger hand size, uh, and then an activate ability or that you can attack or thwart on the hero size, which involves tapping the card. So it's a one use thing for the round. Sorry, exhausting the card. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but the. The the funny thing with that is that if you have upgrades in play, you could use all the hero upgrades and then switch to your alter ego form and use all the alter ego upgrades. So it's very tempting to do that, but circumstances might make it so that you don't want to. So if you're on really low health and you're in alter ego form when your turn starts, it might be too dangerous to switch to hero form. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a... That's a story. That's a that's a consideration based on the game state. And I think that brings me on to my, my my next big sort of highlighted word. If we've got accessibility in big lights, we've also got reaction focus. The game is all about focusing on reacting to the situation. What's what's just been played in front of you? What's what's coming? What's happening around you? You need to now react to it. You're dealt a card. It's a it's a minion. You need to kill that minion. You need to get rid of it. It's not a game like Spirit Island where you sit there and you meticulously plan for a sequence of events and set up this pattern of things that need to happen. That okay, I'll do this to move these two people to this space so that then I can move them to this space. Now they're on the coast, so that means that when this card's played, it will kill those two. Oh my god! No, it's none of that. <laughs> it's just there's a dude there. You need to hit that dude. It's your turn. What are you going to do? I'm going to try and hit that dude. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and that's nice. That's so simple and so nice. But it's also it also feels fun. It feels like a comic book. You know, it feels like. Oh, a side scheme has suddenly sprung up and the villains are trying to do whatever, rob some weapons. You need to resolve this now because otherwise every turn they're going to be getting plus whatever. Okay, we've we got to switch and go and thwart that scheme. Yeah. Side schemes are one of my favorite things about the game. And I want to, I'll, I'll dive into that in a second because one of the things I have to bring up later is the villain, villain design. Cause I think there's, there's some very clever stuff there, but carrying on from what you were just mentioning, I wanted to talk about just how joyful an experience it is. It makes me feel like it's just fun. It's just really fun to play. Mm. I found myself narrating my experience as I was playing it like aloud without even realizing I'm just so engrossed in what I'm doing I'm I'm sat there going yeah and then I'm gonna play this and then I'm gonna tap that and that means that they're dead and I'm gonna then move on to this character and then they're gonna do a haymaker and then that progresses the villain to his next phase and oh my goodness their health has just increased because of this weird rule oh and I'm talking aloud to myself, like the same way children talk to themselves when they play with toys. I literally did that today when I was playing. I was I was sat next to my partner. I was literally doing exactly what you just said. And I was like, okay, so that means it's, uh, it's I was playing Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange is going to use his his special magic power. And then that means that happens. Brilliant. So now it's, it's uh, not Hulk. <laughs> yeah, it was Hulk. Yeah, I was playing Hulk. Was I playing Hulk? That's not important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whoever's turn. It was Hulk. It was Hulk. Yeah. So now it's now it's Hulk's turn and Hulk's gonna Hulk's gonna smash. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I must have I thought to myself, I must look the same way children look when they're playing on their own with, with toys and they're like making up their own story. But I thought mm. if that's not the point 
of yeah. playing games to be that engrossed and be having such a thrilling and happy experience than what is. Yeah, fair. I think, yeah, it's all about that theme that we've all seen or read comic book stuff, right? Heroes and villains and stuff. And I think this is the... I think it's the best integration of theme for LCGs. I don't think it quite worked for horror with Arkham. I don't think it works as well for an adventure game like in the Lord of the Rings one. I mean, I think it, it, it nearly it nearly got good, but I think the main reason this works so well boils down to at the end of the day, I don't mind if I lose at this because I, I will feel enriched by a loss in this game. Even if I have a, a bad pickup where I pick the wrong sort of superheroes to come up against this villain or the wrong sort of cards came at me, I don't feel like I do in Lord of the Rings where it's just a bit boring to retry that game again. I feel like, well, now I could pick a different good guy to take them on and maybe they'd have better luck. All I've done by losing is kind of answer the question of, well, who would win in a fight? You know, is it, is it going to be uh, Rhino or She-Hulk? who's going to win, you know? And, and if you lose, you know, and you try it with a different hero and it, it, it's exciting and fun. It's even more exciting even because the the stakes have been risen. Whereas in an adventure game, you kind of have to do this sort of narrative disconnect and, and, and go through kind of yeah hoops to justify it. Like you just lost the adventure. Yeah. You got killed by the orcs. Game over, right? Restart the event. The movie's over. Now, rewind, rewind, we'll redo it and alternate universe it, whatever. In a comic book, the rules are out the window. There's, anything can happen in a comic book, you know? Yeah. A, new, a new hero swoops in to save the day and they retry. The parallel universe thing makes sense because it's a comic book. So it's, I think that wackiness level is really important. And I think the fact that it's not a campaign game, there is a campaign expansion, The Rise of Red Skull expansion which is out of print at the moment there is another campaign expansion coming out called galaxy's most wanted i think and it includes some guardians of the galaxy yeah. uh, characters but the core box and most of what is released for this game is not campaign material and i think one of the reasons it works so well and is so replayable is because when you compare it to like arkham for example the interesting part about the arkham scenarios is the story beats the written-in and narrative-driven aspects of that game are what make it fun. In this game, that's all out the window. The, what is fun is the really infinite combinations, and, and I'll get, get, on, get onto that now, in fact. I'll, I'll unpack it now. When, when you play a scenario, you don't just choose a villain and choose a hero. You choose a villain, and what makes up their encounter deck is their own unique cards, but also you choose... A, a side thing that goes in there as well. Is there going to yeah. be a bomb scare? Is there going to be uh, the doomsday chair, which is where aliens come and weird things happen? And that can really alter the difficulty. It can really alter the story that it tells. And if you're the kind of person who likes coming back and trying new things, you know, new scenarios, you're really going to have a great time. I've played Marvel Champions, the core box, much more than I've played the core box of any other LCG because normally, with Arkham, for example, to be specific, you play through the three scenarios, you know all the story, there is very little incentive to play it again. You now need to buy the expansion. 
Whereas Marvel Champions, I'm like, well, next time I'm going to try Ultron, but with a slightly easier uh, side uh, like assignment. You know, it's going to be the bomb scare, for example. And I'm going to try with a different hero. And once you played with all the heroes, you can then go, right, well, now what I want to do is is try a different deck customization. And it's the fact that there's not not a campaign element, which I know is very popular. I know everyone loves campaign games. But for me, I think the game worked really well because it didn't have those pre-written story beats. How do you think feel about that, Scruffy? Yes. I mean, there's there's so much to talk about off, off of the, all that, but I think... You're you're absolutely right that having each one as an individual, it feels like an edition of a comic book. It feels like you're just flicking through one of those sort of uh, micro narratives. It's not a big meta story. It's just you're reading a comic book for today. This is the edition where She-Hulk loses to Rhino. Uh, those are the first two that keep coming to my head and I have no idea why. But, you know, (laughs) this is the edition where Captain America takes on uh, Crossbones. and, and, And... it's it's really exciting and fun and it feels it feels engaging every time. And the, like you say, even in the core box, there's so much replayability. I played on Tabletop Sim. I played the scripted mod and I'm going to find out the name of the person because it's an amazing mod. Uh, I don't have it to hand, but we'll, we'll put it in the description. The, the mod I used is fantastic. It has, I think, all of the different sets that are out, all the different heroes and villains, and it's scripted, so it's really easy to set up. And like you say, you can add in different cards. But also, each hero has their own obligation going in. So they're, not only do you see their character in the way they play and that they're your avatar that you interact with the game with, but they also occasionally have a conflict that is specific to them arise and that i find really really fun the obligation cards the the way that suddenly tony stark has business problems he has to resolve and he needs to either send himself or all of his upgrades his suit up off to go and resolve the business problems and that kind of just hampers you i had one of the the most exciting moments for me i was playing captain america and captain marvel and we were playing against crossbones and it was the finale. Like we just reached this point where everything they they turned over the, to the last scheme thing. Everything had come out all at once. They had barely any health left. We just had to finish them off. And then Captain Marvel's obligation card came up, and suddenly she was tapped. She had to go and resolve her family issues, and I was just like, "Not now!" <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. Like yeah, the the immersion in the moment and just seeing this kind of this this thing like the the villains had set up, they'd just broken out of the bank, just on their getaway in their car, and suddenly Captain Marvel gets whisked away to resolve some family issues. It was it was so good. It was so yeah, good. and if I and if I can take that and continue with the comparison to like Arkham, for example, that in in Arkham Horror, the characters have weakness cards. But they're in your deck. They're not in the encounter deck like they are in in Marvel Champions. They're Mm. in your deck. So not only do you go through your deck very slowly in Arkham, but when you draw that one card at the start of your deck, oh, I'm just going to draw my one card. Oh, no, it's my weakness. Like, how that just feels terrible. (laughs) It's miss a turn, isn't it? Yeah, it's not great. It's just so having it in the encounter deck is basically, it's almost exactly the same mechanism but they altered the execution slightly. And instead of being, oh, it's just it's this clunky thing that happens in the game, it's now one of the most exciting things that can happen on your on your encounter. Part of it is that it 
it means that that turn that that hero is likely to be disproportionately affected and that's one of the reasons again why it works so well multi-handed because it means that instead of each hero being down an encounter card to deal with and having to take damage or have a, a minion come in front of them that they have to probably deal with themselves or one, lose one of their upgrades or whatever it's that that card is passed to the hero whose obligation is so it might be dealt to the other hero which is exactly what happened in my case and that that little moment there where suddenly captain marvel's just dealt with her problem she's had you know she got a, a double attack from the hero uh, from the villain and suddenly then she also gets family issues on top of it it's brilliant yeah and uh, another thing that the heroes have, which isn't uh, positive, is they also have their own nemesis. And uh, so I'll give you a real example. Spider-Man's nemesis is Vulture. So at the start of the game, you set aside, you don't just set up the villain and the encounter deck, you also set aside Vulture as a minion and Vulture's side quest and Vulture's special moves, which are encounter cards. And you put those to one side. And at some point, you, you may draw an encounter card which says, Shadows of the Past, your old villain, your old nemesis is coming back and they're going to do some horrible things. And you have to take your old nemesis, put them in play, engage with you, take out their side scheme, uh, put it out with all the threat that's on there, and then shuffle into the encounter deck all of their special moves. And now you've got this other problem which is relevant and specific to the character you're playing that's just interrupted the game and it's a really exciting moment when it happens it feels like oh now this uh, go away <laughs> and it's uh yeah it's really fun really fun yeah yeah couldn't agree more i do want to circle back to the guardians of the galaxy expansion thing now yeah sure uh because I, I've always had a bit of a thing with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I think they're fun. I think they're, you know, they're a laugh. I have never understood how they kind of fit into the Avengers world. And I'm not a real Avengers buff. I haven't even watched the movies, to be honest. But thematically, I don't get it. And even more so for this game, I don't get how they're going to work in it. Like, I'm not at all interested in this upcoming expansion, I've got to be honest. And if you are, fantastic. Great, more powerful to you. But I think it's mostly things like none of the Guardians galaxies have an alter ego. They are just, you know, space hero people, right? They're just the Guardians of the Galaxy. You don't have Rocket Raccoon as a person working in a coffee shop and then Rocket Raccoon, the space pilot, he's just Rocket Raccoon, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. It, one of the joys for me for this game is that it, in the heat of the moment, you can switch back to Peter Parker. You can stop spinning around and attacking and web swinging and just go back to being Peter Parker for a bit, go and get a home-cooked meal from Aunt May if she's in play, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that is lovely. And again, it enriches this kind of wackiness of the game that you, you everything's kind of mad and bizarre and exciting and high high power. And then it just kind of grounds itself again. Yeah. As you kind of have those obligation cards come up or as you have, you know, whatever mundanity kind of be exploited by or inflicted upon your characters. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's really, really charming, isn't it? You know, you could be in the middle of a fight and then Peter Parker gets notified that he's getting evicted from his flat because he hasn't played his rent. 
Mm. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny and it's like you said, it's wacky and it fits the theme really, really well. Um, I can't comment on the Guardians of the Galaxy expansion because it's not out yet and I haven't played it. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I think I just wanted to kind of throw out there that I, I just don't understand the thematic incongruity there. If that makes sense, we'll have to see. We'll see. Where we will. One thing I do want to add to that though is you mentioned how you know you're not a particular Marvel buff. If anybody anybody who knows me knows, there are two things that I generally don't like. One is Marvel. I'm not a fan of the MCU. I haven't seen the films. Um, I'm not interested at all. Don't talk to me about it. And the second is... Like, uh, dude, you know what this episode's title is? <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is collectible card games. I've never been... Like I've played, I played Lord of the Rings card game. I played Arkham Horror, and I've played a, a few others. You know, I've I've dabbled with Magic. I've, you know, I've I've dabbled with Netrunner. I've played these games, but none of them have grabbed me. None of them have kept my attention for long enough for me to really dive into the either that construction side of things, or even enough to want to play it again and again in the way that Marvel Champions has. And I think that speaks volumes about how charming the game is how clever the mechanisms are, and how just fun it is to play. For me, who doesn't like Marvel or collectible card games, to want to play this game every day. And apart from today, where you know I've had work and now I'm recording the podcast, I've played this game every day since it arrived on my doorstep from the postman. So Yeah, I've played nonstop basically since I... Since I... Uh, the, the rules and, and the rules I want to say are really easy to pick up like maybe it was just because I've got all the experience playing the other games but it felt just so simple and I think it's that thing you were saying about it being a yes game that most of the time yeah you can do that like it's, it's very rare that you go no no you can't do that yeah, I want to <laughs> do just, a thing well you can do it that's fine yeah you can just do it it's great so on that just quickly on the on the cons- the deck construction side because I have since I've been playing on the tabletop sim and I do just want to throw this out because I'd, I'd feel remiss for not saying it but I don't want to dwell on it I think the LCG model is terrible business-wise I can't understand how they can justify charging as much as they do for each individual deck of whatever however many cards i think it's crazy to me if you if you like it great i personally think it's just a very exploitative business model so i don't see myself ever getting a, a physical copy of this game unless i can get a full set that someone's saying second hand or whatever but playing it on tabletop sim i'm obviously swimming with choice and so i haven't dived into constructing the deck yet because i've been just every time a new hero or a new combination of heroes is exciting enough for me i haven't moved away from their standard decks how does that feel to do because i know you've uh, had a little bit of a tinker around with it well it's very easy so one thing that puts me off of lcgs or ccgs in general is the amount that you need to know before going in especially with scenario based games i really really dislike failing a scenario and knowing it's because you constructed the deck wrong mm. marvel champions combats this in a really lovely way it's um you, you, your character has 15 cards so you're, you're allowed to have a, a deck between 40 and 50 cards and 15 of those cards are already made for you because they are your character's unique cards it then says pick an aspect you can have from the top of my head you can have justice protection aggression leadership is there anything else I'm missing? I think that's 
I think that's all of them. So you, once you've got those 15, you just pick one of those aspects and you choose cards from them. And a lot of it is kind of done for you. It says things like, you're only allowed one of these per player or per deck. So you can't stick two of those in. Okay, that's fine. So you don't have to be a mastermind of deck construction. It's more a case of, um, I'm curious, how does Spider-Man play with protection? Because he's pretty good at black flipping out the way and defending anyway. Uh, how does protection work? And you just, you know, swap in those cards. Boom. You've just constructed a completely unique deck. And if you're really, really into deck construction and making really weird combos with your deck and that's the joy of collectible card games for you, you're probably going to be left a little bit unsatisfied with what Marvel Champions has to offer. But if you're in the same boat as me, as somebody who gets more of a joy out of the fun and unique gameplay elements and the mechanisms of the game, and you're only curious to the deck construction side of things, then this is perfect for you. It really solved a lot of problems that I have with collectible card games. And to your point about the LCG model, I agree wholeheartedly. However, because I feel like this game, unlike you know Arkham Lord of Rings, uh, is a much more replayable because it's lacking those story beats. I don't feel like I have to buy expansions. However, I will <laughs> because I feel like I get to. You know, that's a big difference for me. I'm like, yes, I do want to try a new hero, but I don't need to. I'm not missing any of the story elements. I don't need to buy the next thing. These cards aren't going to phase out like they would with, you know, a card game like Magic the Gathering, for example. There is no necessity for me to buy the next thing to keep playing the game. Whereas I feel like with some of the others, there is a built-in sort of necessity for you need to keep purchasing. I think that's lacking here, but that's a good thing that it's lacking. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say, Scruffy? Yeah, absolutely. And if you really were keen to see what was out there, you could hop over to Tabletop Sim, like I keep going, saying, you know, I mean, I, I personally really like it on that. I mean, just going to your point of constructed decks, I love constructing decks. I, I could spend ages constructing Magic the Gathering decks or whatever, and I'd enjoy it more than actually playing the game. You know, I think playing the game with something like Magic for me always feels more like just a means to show off what I've made rather than actually to interact with the game mechanics, yeah. if that makes sense. No, I agree. I, I got really into the the deck building in Lord of the Rings LCG and trying to make it really slick and efficient and deal with any problem that came up. But what I tended to find was that I had decks for different situations, like, okay, this scenario, if, if you play it on the hardest difficulty, it often beats you first time. And you go, okay, so this scenario is one that needs the questing to be done. This scenario is one that needs big enemies to be taken care of. And then I'd have a deck that I'd sub out for each of those things and be able to resolve it with that, which was a fun little puzzle in itself. But I think it, like I've mentioned before, was a bit disconnected from the theme in that it broke the immersion by losing. I would be so frustrated with that. I would yeah. find that so frustrating. Yeah, and, and it was to an extent. I'm looking forward to trying out the deck building in this. Uh, I've noticed uh, that some of the uh, rise of the Red Skull things allow you to kind of, it looks like, combine some of the aspects, which I'm very interested to check out. Uh, like, I think uh, Spider-Woman has two different ones. She has, uh, I think, Aggression and... I think Justice as well. Justice, yes. So that's 
mind blowing. Um, but to be honest, I'm just having so much fun working out the different synergies between the heroes. And that in itself is almost a construction element because you're trying to work combos out between the characters, which is quite fun. So I think there is definitely room for somebody who's interested in trying to find these little combos and exploits to play, even without touching the deck building. And it goes to the villain side of things as well, because when you, let's say you try a new villain and you, when you build the villain's encounter deck, as I already alluded to, you customize the encounter deck or you or you can, you're allowed to customize the, uh, their encounter deck with a uh, new, I can't remember what it's called in the game, but they're like side scenarios going on, like there's under attack or bomb scare, as I keep saying. Mm. So that's another each sort of construction element that although it's not, you know, something you have to sit and think about, it's fun to try. If you're curious, you could just slot it right into the game. Yeah, and it is just like one or maybe two cards, isn't it, that you that you put in the villain deck? It well, it, it depends. Some of them, there's quite a lot. It depends on what you choose, and I find that really fascinating. And another part... See, I've that... just been following the... Because it gives you usually a recommendation of which... Uh, yeah, I can't remember what they're called either, but which sort of side scheme or whatever to put in, in the deck. It sometimes says, oh, you might want to put the weapons of Hydra in this one. And so you do, and give it a try that's all i've been doing just following it as it suggests and, and another thing is when you choose a new hero you're not just choosing a new hero you're adding in a new nemesis and a new obligation so playing again with a different a different side scheme for the uh, villain and a different hero means you're playing with encounter deck which is slightly different to what you played before an entirely new player deck a new nemesis and new obligations. So even though it's the same scenario, it's almost a completely different experience. And I think that's yeah. really great. It's just brilliant. And, and, and the interplay between, the, if you play multi-handed, the two heroes you play. This time we'll play Iron Man and Spider-Man, see how those two get on together, as opposed to whoever, you know? Yeah, super, super, super fun. It's very replayable. Very, very replayable. And I just want to quickly touch on the other thing for replayability which is there's two diff difficulty modes and i've mentioned before how i find difficulty modes in games often really a bit awkward and a bit bad especially in solo games but i think this is the first game i've met where i have really enjoyed the difficulty settings a lot i i used the normal setting for my kind of learning games when i played my first two or three games but then every other one i've gone up to expert because i found i found those ones a little bit easy to walk through and they have been so hard but so rewarding like every time i've just been like this is impossible this is broken and they're cheating and they're, and and there's no way i can win and then i win and i go yes <laughs> and it's, it's lovely but i've known every single game that if i if i did lose i just want to do it again and like I, i've mentioned before i'd just be excited by that loss i'm kind of at a point now where i always want to i haven't lost yet luckily only by the skin of my teeth but i, I i'm excited for when that loss happens because i feel like as a player I will have developed a nemesis that I'll need to tackle, you know? I've still got a few villains to try, and uh, we'll see. Have you experienced that? Have you tried Have you tried any expert? No. No, I haven't. I haven't tried expert yet. But 
one thing I like about the difficulty in this game is it's not just standard or expert. It's the fact that you can, like like I said, slightly alter the villain deck as well. That's true. Yeah. You, can, you can play against, let's say I set up the, the, with the components in the core box, I could play against the hardest villain or with the easiest side, you know, modular encounter part of their deck. How would that work out? Would it balance it out? Would it be substantially easier? I don't know. It's it's not just a case of like the expert mode is there. And it, like you said, it's very engaging. I'm looking forward to trying that. But mm. there's also this kind of nuanced variable difficulty that you can tweak and alter yourself. So Yeah, cool. I should probably say how the expert difficulty works in this because it's not just a token thing of give the enemy more help. I mean, that does happen. But you get a whole kind of different setup so you get a whole different set of cards that go into the encounter deck that are just nastier, and they're a lot nastier. And I don't know. I feel like that's a really cool change that they've put in so much effort into it. Yeah. That, yeah, I, I'm just trying to remember how they increase the difficulty in other LCGs off the top of my head. I've, I'm, try, I'm struggling to think how they did it. I don't even know if they did have varying difficulty in Arkham. Yeah. No, I don't remember there being much varying difficulty between the different games. And um, you also get to see a new side of the nemesis of of the villain. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. That's oh, so, such a good point, Norm. Yeah, that you kind of see their their kind of their angry face form. You know, you get to see you get to see how they because well, I played against one specific villain. I keep bringing him up because he's my favorite. It, it's Crossbones. I keep, I played him on normal. And then on expert, like right after the other, and it was just so much more fun for me seeing him get angry. Like it was a bit of he was a bit easy on on normal. I, I actually won on I think it was like turn two or something. Like seriously, I was I got really lucky with uh, She Hulk's cards, and he didn't have many hit points. I was playing solo, not multi handed. But then we moved up to playing on harder mode with. Uh, multi-handed and the game just felt like a completely different game and I, the only word for it is just re- so rewarding like the whole time i was it was like there were these it was like a roller coaster there were these tosses and turns of power shifting things he was doing all these different spikes of things happening and then it was my turn and i was like there's no way i can handle all these things oh wait <laughs> and then it was like that lovely moment you get and that's kind of try the, the games like Yu-Gi-Oh try and capture with the but if I draw my lucky card, but you you know, you, you don't have that silly thing. You, instead, you just have, what can I possibly do? And you look at your hand and you look at your hero and you you figure it out and you resolve it. Or you get partway there and then pass over to the next hero and just hope that they can do it. And it's it's like a it's like a superhero story. I don't know how else to describe it. Brilliant emergent narrative. Great example of emergent narrative in games. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I think it's more than emergent narrative. It's kind of emergent pacing, you know, <laughs> that it's that it's inter, intertextuality, I guess. That I don't know what the word is, where you have like something that the game mirrors the form of a comic book movie or, or comic book story, right? It, it kind of hits that blow by blow, spiking power and things in a really fun way that all these so, all sort of things can happen and all sorts of things will happen to you and that you'll be able to, because you're a bit more free than in most games, a bit less mechanically restricted, you're a superhero in this game. 
you can break the rules. You can fly around and, and attack those villains that are engaged with somebody else, oh my God, <laughs> without special powers, because you're a superhero. So of course you can flout the rules a bit. And I think that's the that's the quintessence of it. That it feels like playing as a superhero because it's so free. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And as I alluded to right at the beginning of the episode, that freedom then comes with a trade-off of a deeper decision space, which for any gamer should should be enough to get you excited and jazzed up to play the game. With great mechanical freedom comes great decision space. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I think that's pretty much all I want to say on Marvel Champions. I want to maybe adding one very, 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 very small criticism, if I may. Okay, let's end on the criticism for once. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, there are some cards that provide effects to the villain, and they'll say, to get rid of this card, spend these three specific resources. and Sometimes three resources is like your whole turn. And I kind of wish that instead of having that obligation, instead they were sort of time limited, like the power cards in Aeon's End. You know, stick two tokens on this, and the next time the villain activates, remove one of the tokens. Once they're all removed, this buff goes away. I don't like that. I have to basically miss a turn to deal with a, you know, a minor inconvenience that's going to stay around the whole game if I don't do anything about it. Yeah, that that is one little caveat. I think um, there are some really nice ways they handle that, like bringing up Crossbones again. He has weapons that you can discard by paying a resource or you can not, which is quite a nice sort of choice. But there are a lot of moments that feel a bit like miss a turn or counterspell. One hero in particular I hated and I stopped playing her, and that's Black Widow, because she's essentially just counterspell the hero like she she will just sit there and play loads of preparation cards which are all about when the villain does a treachery discard it and it's like oh, that's that's so boring so you're not <laughs> yeah. you're, you're spending your turn to make them not do anything and not doing anything else like that's the thing she doesn't seem to do anything else like the whole time it was like treading through treacle it's like okay i've taken her turn and managed to stop anything from happening to her so why is she here? <laughs> what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one one minor criticism is sometimes the game goes, oh, look, this exciting thing happened. If you don't want it to happen, miss a ton. And you're like, oh, no. Although, I will say, it does make up for momentum with with that. And, and this is why I don't think it feels too bad in that game, because I think that could potentially kill a game, right? But I think it does a really good job of momentum by making things very semi-permanent. So, you know, cards like that are a bit of a, like you say, a bit of a whatever. But there are other cards, uh, like even side schemes that come into play and then get removed. Enemy minions come into play and then get killed. But even your allies uh, and some of your upgrades, most of your upgrades have uses. So you have to use them a certain amount of times and then they're gone. The allies... I, it was really funny because when you taught me the game, you, you kind of sat me through it on tabletop to them. I played Hulk as an ally and when I attacked with him and he said, oh, he takes damage. Look, he's got a little icon there. And I went, oh, typical Hulk. He hurts himself when he attacks. No, that's basically all allies. Whenever they attack or thwart, they hurt themselves. Right? Yeah. So so they 
they only have their HP worth of uses and then they're gone and they're out of your way. You have a limit to three allies on your board anyway, which is nice. They kind of tidy themselves up and there's not that many in the deck. But I love that sort of semi-permanent nature of the cards. It really adds for a sense that stuff's happening. Things are progressing. Every move, like, yes, and it goes, yes, she hits and she takes the damage. Oh, gosh, two things at once. Everything's very two things at once-y. And I think that kind of makes up for those little moments of coming to a grinding halt because most of the other moves, every card, every play, it's not just one trigger, it's two triggers. Yeah. Um, I think it's clear I love the game. It's a very, very, very minor criticism, but it's one part where I just felt like the game stalled slightly and I was like, oh, no, absolutely fair, do, I, yeah. do I want to pay three of those resources? If I do, like, especially if, you, if, if you've just got rid of a couple of allies on your, from your tableau and a lot of your actions have, have depleted, you're going, okay, if I do this, I'm probably not doing much else this turn. Oh. I mean, the good thing is, that, like, like you say, most of those cards do give you the option. They say you can do that, or you can leave this horrible weapon in play, and <laughs> it will hurt you. Uh, if it's an obligation card, I don't mind it being a miss your turn so much because it's so thematically good. Like it's just like, yeah, obligation. They're tapped. They're missing a turn. They've got their real life stuff kicking off. You you can't be fighting crime at the moment, dude. You got to go take care of your family. Yeah, but they can still play their cards and use things in their tableau. You know, I just feel like sometimes the the ones that yeah, are, they can still send their allies off to do the work for them. I just feel like sometimes the ones that ask you to pay a lot of resources are kind of like, well, I'm just burning through my deck and nothing's happening. But yeah. you know, if you've built up a good tableau and if your hero is ready, you can do a bunch of other stuff. So it's not a yeah. big criticism at all. It's just no. something that I found a little bit unpleasant and yeah, worthy of note. I thought absolutely. Ah, oh, it's rare for us to agree so much on a game, huh? I know. There must be something wrong, but I just want to say something very, very quickly before we move on to the next part. I said earlier in the show how I I don't particularly like collectible card games, and I'm not particularly interested in Marvel. So one thing I want to say is at the beginning of the year, uh, my New Year's resolution for 2020 was to say yes to more games. And I never thought that by the end of the year, come December, I'd be raving about a marvel themed collectible card game like Mm. not not one part of me thought that would even be a possibility i wouldn't have even given this game time of day i just want to say sometimes in the hobby we can get a little bit stuck in our own ways i'm a euro gamer and i play this i'm a train gamer and i play this that was my particular problem i think if we can and if i if i could make a recommendation as it's getting to the end of the year if you do the same thing I did, because I'm amazed at the new experiences I've had this year, and I love Marvel Champions, and I can't wait to play it more, and I would have never played it at this time last year. There's no way I would have given it time of day. So, yeah, just a little bit of talking from the heart about how, yeah, how how this hobby is is weird, and you can you can form weird prejudices about about games and about who you are as a person. I don't know if any of this is going to stay in the podcast because it's all a bit weird. But yeah, just wanted to share my own experience. Yeah, that's what I was saying in the top five episode, isn't it? That, you know, we uh, we get into our set ways, don't we? And it's a, it's a danger of that sort of thinking. But I'll I tell you what, after playing this, it's the most excited I've been about comic book characters since I was a, a wee lad. 
And it's made me want to, you know, maybe even read some comic books and get get back into it. I know that the I have a lot of problems with the the way the movies are. You know, if you love them, great. Personally, I find the MCU very tedious to watch. But yeah, I'm interested in all the characters in a way that I haven't been for a very, very long time. So I think that's a real, real selling point for the for the card game there that it's managed to do that to me. Make me excited for superheroes. Again. Yeah, and I think Peter from our Discord said, uh, and from our patron who voted for this, because this was voted for by our patrons, mm. for those of you who aren't aware. One of the things he said was, I voted for this because I don't like Marvel and I want to see if you need to like Marvel to like the game. And the emphatic answer is no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, I wasn't a Marvel fan going in. I've come out a bit of a Marvel fan. <laughs> <laughs> How do I like the X-Men? I think that, that's pretty cool. Anyway, moving on. So this is the portion of the show where we look at the responses we got from the last episode. As always, we're going to ask you, the listener, another question. And... Yeah, hopefully you find it interesting. Scruffy, what's the question for this episode? Okay, the question this episode is, what game has surprised you that you didn't think you'd like going in, but you came out of it with maybe a newfound interest in a whole genre of games or a whole theme of games? Which game has surprised you? Excellent. So I think, to be honest, all of next week's responses are going to be people telling us off for being mean to Spirit Island. <laughs> but we'll see. I, yeah, have a listen to our Spirit Island episode if you want to know our, our total views on it. The only thing I didn't like about it was the multi-handed experience. I loved it solo-handed, didn't like it multi-handed. If you want to make yourself angry, go and, go and listen to that. <laughs> okay, so... We The last question for last episode, because it was about a print-to-play game, Black Sonata, we asked, what is something you have made yourself, either a game or a gaming accessory, you are proud of? Please send us pictures. And we got a bunch of responses in our Discord, which I'll try and go through some of those now. So we had one from Rumple Frumpkins, who is a member of our Discord community. Mm-hmm. And they said, I made a print-and-play copy of Villagers, which turned out okay. It was one of my first larger builds and took me forever. But in the process, I really fine-tuned and streamlined my personal process of how I print and play games. I made it assuming solo play, but my partner ended up really liking it. So I'm not allowed to play it solo. But it's interesting how when you build a game, you're not just building it, you're also finding out a little bit about how you you're going to make it and what you're going to remember next time going into your next build, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the challenges for us when we've tried to make our every five episodes print and play thing is that we want to get good at making games and try try taking ourselves out of our comfort zone with just consuming games. Like for me, I have to get myself off tabletop sim. <laughs> yeah, and but... for me, I need to stop getting my wallet out (laughs) yeah so it's nice for us to be able to have that tying us to trying out print and playing and making something for ourselves which is what we've been doing and uh was particularly fun with black sonata i'm looking at my copy of it now (laughs) and steve steve schlepperst who was on our episode about pax premiere yeah he also wrote in and said that he made a double layer great western trail board and he modelled a bunch of 3D printed inserts as well. And then he added pictures. So he added pictures of the Great Western Trail uh, insert that I made. And also 
the 3D some of their 3D printed ones and they look incredible. Yeah, very impressive. Really, really good, isn't it? Very impressive indeed. Ah, oh, very, very jealous of them having a 3D printer. That's that's such a cool little tool if you use it right. And I love I love the look of the uh there's something really special about having that sort of multi-level thing for keeping tokens in place. Uh, I remember the first time I played Terraforming Mars, somebody had one of those little clear, I guess you call it a 3D printed plastic thing where you, where you put tokens in. I just haven't, it hasn't felt right not playing with one since because you <laughs> so easily lose track of the tokens on those little sheets. <laughs> Brilliant. We also had one from Jota CE, who, apologies if I'm mispronouncing your Discord username, you can correct me on Discord. They wrote in and said, as a fan of print and play, I think the last episode question is for me. And then, hmm. sorry in advance for spam, and then just proceeded to put endless... <laughs> oh, wow, play. these are such cool pictures. I know. So if, uh, for anyone listening, by the way, this isn't good podcast material. We're just looking at pictures. If, you, <laughs> if you're interested in seeing these pictures, hop on over to our Discord links in the description. Listener questions. You can see these uh, really nice pictures of uh, various different things. We've got a chessboard there. We got uh, what's this one? It's, it's, a, it's like, a board uh, for Onitama, actually. Oh, oh, is it? Of course it is. Yeah, it's two small pictures. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm more distracted by the little figures below it and then that map. What game is that? Westeros map. It's a uh, I guess they're Game of Thrones pieces. Awesome. And then we have the one that I'm really interested in is an infamous traffic, which I've always wanted to play. It's not soloable. Oh, of course. You have to bring you back to traffic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's not about that, I swear. <laughs> Vehicles and and crime, two of your favorite things. Like Shadow Run on a train. That would be <laughs> That would be my ideal game. Why isn't it made? Please make it. <laughs> So th that was all very nice, but one that I really wanted to share was on Reddit. Okay. Um, I'm just going to read. Yeah, that. thanks for thanks for those pictures, guys. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just scrolling through them now. They're absolutely beautiful. Um, massive fan of Jota. Really, really amazing work. Can't believe. I can't believe you made all that stuff. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks professionally made, doesn't it? Yeah. We also had somebody write in on Reddit. We obviously we we normally get a few comments on our on our Reddit posts, but this one really stood out for being super nice. So I'm gonna read through that now. It's from somebody called Consley, who recently just joined our Discord community as well. So welcome to the to the community and, and, and thanks for joining. Welcome. They said this has quickly turned into my favorite podcast. I found Aww. it random. I know, right? <laughs> They said, I found it randomly on Apple Podcasts searching for Spirit Island Talks, and it feels really weird to prefer this semi-low popularity show to that of something with the viewership of Joe Rogan or likewise. I hope you guys get the viewership you deserve, and if not, I hope regardless you continue to put in all the hard work because you definitely have some real fans of your content. That is such a lovely comment. That is really, really nice. Thank you. And that was coming into for our Spirit Island episode. I thought we'd get <laughs> yeah. told off for that one. No, that's really awesome. And no, I think, you know, we, we're not in this for getting massive numbers of viewers or, or, or making bank or anything. It's just been so, we've, we've got the viewers we deserve because you guys are fantastic. Like if the Discord's anything to go by, you guys listening are just the best people. And I, I couldn't be happy with how the podcast's going and the people that we're getting and the comments we're getting, the it's just lovely. Yeah. Really enriches my life, you know. Yeah, I we I mean we started it because we wanted to give it a go. We're continuing it because we're enjoying the process because of the interactions with you guys, the listeners, and that's not just lip service. Like 
the Discord community is probably my favorite online board game community. And <laughs> I know I'm biased, but I love waking up to all the messages that have been going on because a lot of you guys are, uh, you know, across the pond. And when I'm asleep, you guys are all chatting away. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love waking up to all the different messages. And then throughout the day, um, I, yeah, I read, I read everything on there. I love I, I love it. I think it's I think it's a fantastic community and thank you very much for for supporting the show in any way you can whether it's uh you know just listening whether you join the discord or whether you're uh whether you're um super awesome and, and a member of the patron. Yeah. I've, I however you support us we appreciate it. Absolutely. It's just lovely to have people listening to us chatting, you know. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap this up then. How can they contact the show and answer the question for this week? Shruffy, just remind them again of the question this week. So the question this week is, what is a game that surprised you that you went into thinking you'd hate but ended up really, really liking and enjoying and perhaps it switched you on to a whole new genre of games or a new theme of games that you didn't think you would be ever able to enjoy but that game proved you wrong? Excellent. And if you want to write in, you can write in on our Discord. The links are in the description. You can just click that invite. If for whatever reason it doesn't work, just message us, DM us on Facebook or on Instagram. Links up to both are in the description. We're, we're happy to send you a personal invite. Anyway, if you don't want to join the Discord, we are alwaysplayer1podcast at gmail.com. You can always email us. As I mentioned, you can DM us. Our Facebook link is in the description. We're on instagram as well it's at always player one podcast and we're on reddit always underscore player underscore one we hang out in the solo board gaming subreddit the most so we'll probably see you over there if that's your bag but yeah that's all the ways you can get in touch um don't hesitate we love hearing from you all thank you very much for listening and yeah see you in a week when the first free planning phase will be out. Awesome. Cool. See you guys in a week and have a great rest of your day and happy 1st of December. Woo. Oh, wait. It's not 1st of December anymore, it's, is it? It's the 4th. We're speaking from the past. <laughs> Woo. Uh, broke the illusion there. Happy <coughs> 4th of December, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you next time in a week, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.